0: Play it, play it, play it, play it. We are gay like a fruit. We are looking like a snack. You are listening to Fruit Snacks. Hey guys, welcome back to Fruit Snacks Podcast. I am Brian and unfortunately today there is no Shane. What? I know this episode is going to be so strange because literally I'm hosting my own episode. Just me by myself. So you guys are gonna get a lot of long story shorts, <laughs> all the fun stuff, but that's okay. Just because of the way our lives have been, our lives have been like working out recently, we couldn't get together to um, load a new episode, but that's okay because we're still gonna have episodes coming out to you weekly. But yeah, that's just kind of the current situation. Hopefully you guys don't get tired of my voice (laughs) because if you already made it to this episode, I guess you haven't gotten tired of either one of our voices. But as always, thank you guys for listening every week. We got a lot of feedback thus far and I really, really appreciate it. But as always, you can follow us on Instagram at fruitsnackspod, you can email us at fruitsnackspod at gmail.com. You can even write to us on our personal accounts. If you could subscribe, write, review, share, listen, all the above, it's great. We keep getting feedback, which is good, about episodes that are like the first few episodes we just started, like episode one, two, three, four, and five, and it's so refreshing to hear that you guys are just starting, or you're listening out of order, whatever the reason. It's cool that you guys are writing in about those episodes, because it's nice to kind of remind the conversation, or go back to the conversations we had. I guess we're going to start with the fruit roll-up like normal. This week... I'm just going to update you guys with what has been going on. I just got back recently from Thailand. I just turned 30 in March. And so, yeah, that was really exciting. I was out there for about two and a half weeks. That was not the plan. As a flight attendant, it's hard because when you're flying for free or super discounted, you are traveling standby so you don't know exactly when you're getting to the place you're going and so (laughs) the person that i was flying with was her name's amber hey amber she listens to the podcast shout out to you she made the trip amazing i'm like not a heavy planner because like i said i don't know when i'm getting to these destinations so when i arrive that's usually when i book the hotel and everything else but amber's like the complete opposite where she's like a super planner And so because she knew we weren't going to get there, uh, potentially not get there the times that we wanted to, she like literally planned every other detail out so that we had plan A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. And that was like the best gift. Amber was the perfect person to bring with me on this trip because every city we got to or like we were potentially connecting through, she had things to do just in case we got stopped there. So we started our trip straight to Singapore because it's like a 28 hour travel day to get to Thailand, and we didn't want to do that all-in-one sitting. So we stopped in Singapore when we landed. We got a hotel and then planned on staying three days there just in case. But then after two days, we realized, well, really, after one day, we realized we got through the entire city. So we decided to leave after two days and then headed over to Phuket, Thailand, which is amazing, and then went to Chiang Mai, which was awesome as well. And then we were going to go... When we were coming home, we couldn't decide to go through Korea, Japan, Hong Kong, or Taipei. I've been to all those other places. So I was like, let's go through Taipei just in case we get stuck, we can explore there. But luckily we got on easily and we got back to LA fine. And so everything worked out and I had the best time on my actual birthday. Um, I spent time with elephants, but it was actually funny <laughs> because you you pay like 40 bucks to go hang out with these elephants, which honestly, like if it was in America, it would probably be like 200 bucks, but Thailand is so freaking cheap. So we went to this elephant sanctuary and really what these people do is just hire tourists to um, work for them. <laughs> and you like pay your way through a day's work honestly when we get there they feed us and then they tell us about each animal and where they were saved from cuz a lot of times a lot of people in like Phuket especially they like trap these elephants and then they'll like use them to like as tourism to like get money off of them but these sanctuaries in Chiang Mai kind of like free those elephants from there from that experience and it's actually really cool because when you show up to the farm There's no barns, there's no fences or anything. These elephants realistically roam around. There are trainers to kind of wrangle them, but it's like an open field. It was really cool. But what we did when we first got there is ate, and then they were having us chop up sugar cane and, like, all this other shit. Then as we were feeding them, they made us take them on a hike through the jungle. And then when we came back, uh, or midway through the hike, we, like, bathed them in this mud bath, and then we swam with them in the river. And it was, like, a full-day excursion. But what's funny is that, like, all the employees that work there were just watching us do all these activities and they were like laughing at us because we were doing it wrong. And realistically, I'm telling you not I, like I'm not shitting you. I mean, we were paying them <laughs> for this excursion for us to really do a day's work for them. So that was actually really funny. But my favorite day in Thailand because everyone kept asking me that when I got back was actually the day that we did nothing um, We were so 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 busy. Amber did a great job We did like kayak tours through caves and like tours of the Phi Phi Islands And we had like a cultural day where we went through all these temples and all that stuff But one day we literally had nothing planned. And then we were trying to plan an excursion morning off, But a lot of times you have to like plan the night before because they pick you up from your hotel. And it was already too late because we were like, let's just sleep in since we were getting up at like six in the morning every single day. And so then that day we kind of just like gave it up to the universe and let whatever happened happen. And so we were like, let's just walk around, see what's up, get food, lay low. And that was my favorite day because whatever we wanted to do, it just kind of like, Appeared right in front of us like it was like 109 degrees with humidity. So when we were walking around the street I was like, oh my god, I'm so hot I wish I had like a coconut a fresh coconut to drink we'd turn a corner and a lady is selling fresh coconut from a cart for like 50 cents, right? And it was like that the whole day where I was like, um, I kind of want to get something that's like spiritual or whatever. And then we walk across the street and there's like a crystal store right there. Granted, it wasn't like a crystal store like you would have in LA, like House of Intuition or whatever like like that. But it was like a jewelry, jewelry store, but they had like crystals in it. And I was like, you know what? I'm trying to like start new and I love like a good metaphorical you know, restart. And I'm like, for my 30th, let's get something that kind of like re-energizes me. And it's hilarious because for years I've made fun of Hajin for collecting crystals. She's one of my friends who's like super spiritual and that way of like (laughs) Wiccan. She's not a witch. I'm just kidding. But she likes rocks and I call them rocks, but they're crystals and she does like sage and stuff like that. So just hanging out with her is kind of like not influenced me but just being around it i'm aware of it so i was like you know what let's let's get some crystals but that was there when we needed it and the crystals there were so uh inexpensive it was 40 bucks for five crystals but normally that would literally go for like 150 in la which is quite ridiculous but we did that and then i got massages pedicures anything we wanted we got right and so that was my favorite day because it felt like i was like really on vacation and i don't feel like i have a lot of days like that but it was great now flip it. When I now that I'm home, all my house stuff is kind of piling up and one day I went to work and when I came back I accidentally left my garage open and my bike got stolen. So that was nice. <laughs> but it's all right. Like I was wanting a new bike anyways. I'm trying to look at it in a positive light. I every time I rode that bike it was uncomfortable, but I only kept it because I had it and Now this gives me the opportunity to get a new bike. And so I guess that's a good thing, right? Always trying to flip the script. But as far for me, that is pretty much um, my fruit roll up. Okay, so for today's episode, um, what I really wanted to do and get into now that you guys are caught up with my life is I wanted to tell you my story of coming out because I feel like a lot of my um, worldviews and how I kind of like explain stories or like my opinion on things we've talked about in previous episodes, it kind of comes from this foundation of how I see my life and how I see relationships and how I see love and all that stuff. Now it would be a great time since Shane's not here to kind of tell you the story because if Shane was here, it really would just be me talking. So now that I'm hosting my my own episode... I can talk to you guys so here it is there's just so many layers to this story i guess i'll start with i come from a military background so we always moved around so often every around on average every two and a half years we would move the foundational constant was that we had each other right like our family was what was constant and me coming out kind of disrupted all of that for me and essentially i lost my home um, and so this is why I feel like it's been such a monumental um, journey for me and experience through this battle because I feel like I had to reevaluate what I saw as home. And like Shane mentioned, what I always recommend people who are going through tough times is just like retrain your brain to understand that this is the new normal. And instead of s- setting so many values or like things on tradition, just set the value on the moment. Back in 2009, um, it was December and it happened to be christmas day when i came out but i didn't mean for it to be this dramatic but it just <laughs> it just happened to be this dramatic so i went home at the time uh, my parents coincidentally got stationed in northern california so when i was in college my first year of college i went home for christmas and it was back to germany but since they moved to california when i would go home for christmas now obviously i would just go up north and so everyone was home it was me and my brother my mom and my dad and previously, I went up for Thanksgiving as well. And during Thanksgiving break, I brought my friend Joey, who is gay, and him and my mom hit it off great. And at this time, obviously, my parents didn't know that I was gay. So she got along really well with him. This is all Thanksgiving, blah, 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 blah. Now cut to Christmas. We were just catching up as a family. And My mom was like, oh, like, how's Joey? I was like, oh, he's good. Like this and that, like kind of catching her up with him. And then I started like kind of getting really antsy because I knew I wanted to come out to them, but I didn't know how I wanted to do it. So, um, when she brought up Joey, I was like, yeah, you know, this is great to test the waters because she's literally sitting here praising him like, oh, he was so nice, like this and that. And so then I bring it up. I'm like, mom, did you know Joey was gay? And she's like, what? And I was like, yeah, Joey's gay. And she's like, ugh. And then in that moment, I felt gutted. Like my heart started racing. I couldn't control my emotions. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like, it was like a signifier or like a clue as to how this situation was gonna go if it was about me, right? And so I was like, "Yeah, Joey's gay," and she's like, "Oh my god, I can't believe that. That's gross." And I was like, "Wait, why do you say that?" And she's like, "I don't know. I just don't like that. That's that's nasty." And I was like, "What do you mean that's nasty?" And she's like, "It's just gross. Like I don't know why you would want to bring someone like that in my house." And I'm like, "But mom, you just said you liked Joey," and she's like, "Yeah, but I just don't like that. Like that's just gross." And so then at this point, I kind of got quiet, and then I started crying, and I could not stop crying. I just kept crying, kept crying. And my mom's like, why are you crying? I was like, it's fine. You don't understand. And she's like, Brian, like, I don't have to like all your friends. It's okay. And I was like, Mom, you don't get it. Like, it's not even about that. I don't care if you don't like Joey. And she's like, well, then what is it? And I was like, okay, this is my time. No better time than now. So I was like, well, because, Mom, I'm gay. And she just got quiet and sat there. And she's like, no, you're not. And I was like, yeah, mom, I am gay. And she's like, that's disgusting. And I was like, okay. And at this point, I'm like hysterically crying, almost to the point of hyperventilation, just because it was so, it was realistically 19 years of oppression of my own identity. Kind of like, really, when you're home, you should feel safe. You should feel like you should be able to let your hair down. Like share your real true Personal self, right? Like when we go out into the world, into public, we kind of put this armor of how we present ourselves. But when we're home, we can be like the lazy slob, the slouches, the whatever. And for 19 years up to this point, I was acting out in public and acting at home. And this was the first time that I felt like I could really relieve myself and be free. So when I was telling her this in this moment, I was being the most vulnerable I've ever been in my entire life. And Of course, when you think about moments like this, like big pivotal moments, you play it over and over, over, over in your head, and you see all the outcomes, and all you can think about is what can go wrong, but you never assume that that is the potential, right? Like, you always have hope that it would have a better turnout than it actually does. Well. That was false for me. Worst case scenario, absolutely did happen. And so then she starts yelling at me, crying as well. And she's like, that is so disgusting. Like, I don't know why you would ever want to do that to yourself. I don't know why you'd want to choose to be gay. And I was like, "Okay, mom, let's not say that, because I didn't choose to be gay. I'm just choosing to be honest with you. There's a big difference. And she's like, no, that's just so nasty. And she was like, you're you're not my son. Like, that is so nasty. I was like, mom, I'm still your son. She's like, no, you're not my son. And so then my dad is in the other room, and he hears us saying stuff like this, right? And so um, he comes to the room, and um, he's like, what's going on? Because he hears us going back and forth. And my brother's sitting in the room at the time, too, and I could see him start crying. And um, my mom turns to my dad, and he's like, Ray, your son is gay. That's what's wrong. He is disgusting. Your son is gay. And she's like, okay. He's like, okay, let's calm down. And I was like, no, dad, it's not a big deal. Like, I hear her, she's, she's not okay with it. I don't know, like, whatever, right? And so then I don't remember what happened after that, because at this point I was, like, in hysterics. Um, but I just remember going out, and I was like, I'm leaving. And my dad's like, where are you going? And I was like, I just can't be here right now. And he's like, you're not going to go hurt yourself, are you? And I was like, no, dad. Which I actually appreciate him staying in that moment, because I think that's a very real moment for a lot of people. But I in this moment was not going to do that. So I just decided to leave the house. And the first person I wanted to call was my high school friend, Holly, because I felt like she was the one that would most understand. And so um, I leave the house. And (laughs) this part's actually really funny. As I'm walking away, I am the dramatic one in my family. No, 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 no. My brother is the dramatic one in the the family. (laughs) Because as I'm walking out, I see my brother... Standing by the Christmas tree looking at all of our baby ornaments and like our family photos that we hang on the tree And he's just sitting there crying in the dark with like a soft candlelight of uh, Christmas tree lighting on his face Just sobbing with his tears rolling down (laughs) make fun of him for that now that the situation we've got past it because it's just funny to think that I'm like traumatically getting assaulted and my brother's just creating this cinematic cinematic moment of like Hillary Duff music being like let the rain fall down (laughs) as I'm like walking out and my brother turns to me and he's like Brian I, I don't care okay just so you know I don't care which was huge right because in this moment I I felt very alone I felt very alone. And it's one of those things that like if you stay silent, whether you agree or disagree, you're 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 saying that what's happening is okay. Where like if someone were to get murdered and you saw it and everyone knows you saw it but you didn't call the police or anything, you're pretty much part of the murder because you did nothing to help. And and in this moment my dad didn't really stick up for me. Yes, my brother said that to me, but I think part of the hype of the situation is we didn't know what to do because this has obviously never been a case like no one has ever come out to them. But um, in this moment, I felt very alone because they stayed silent, and the, the most in most cases they stayed silent. And this is part one of two parts of the story, and I'll see. And this theme will come back up again. And this is why I had a lot of resentment towards my dad over the the, the course of my twenties. Um, but it was very important to me and I appreciate that my brother said that in that moment because I think in the moment I didn't realize how impactful that would have been, but I think little moments like that really do change a situation and the relationship that I have with him. So I leave the house. I'm like walking around for two hours and then I come back and I think my me and my dad, my dad might have like took me out he was like do you want to go on a car ride and I was like I really don't want to dad because at this point I was like emotionally spent and he was like well I do you want to hear what I have to say and I was like sure and I just remember in the car ride he was saying I, I remember saying like are you really that shocked that I'm gay dad like I was a male cheerleader like I'm into dance everything kind of points to the way a gay person would be raised and he was like I just assumed you were Brian like I just thought that's your characteristics Um, And the same with my brother. He didn't think I was gay ever either, even though his wife met me when we were in college and I wasn't out yet. And she asked him and he was like, no, Brian's not gay. He had girlfriends in high school. (laughs) So bless my my brother and my dad. Like (laughs) they were so oblivious. But I just remember him bringing up religion and being like, I have an issue with it because of my religious beliefs. And so in that moment, it kind of drew a line in the sand as well granted his message wasn't as assaulting as my mother but the message was somewhat the same and so that ended that and that was december so then in january of that following year so 2010 i got my first boyfriend who is now my best friend kyle weinstock he is like the person that means the most to me most cases in my life because i think we've we've gone through the most and he's been there for me in the true sense of a family throughout my entire adult life. The thing with coming out is that when you do come out, you're finally becoming your authentic self, right? Like when you are in the closet, you're not yourself because what you're doing is portraying what you think other people like about you. So you hyper hyper um, you're hyperly aware of how you present yourself right like when you're in the closet you you think about the way you talk you think about the way you walk you think about um, who you associate with if there was a gay person around me I would try to like not even engage because I didn't want people to see the similarities between the two of us even though people probably knew I was gay in my own life or in my own reality that was my way of surviving right and so it's hard when you're going through those things, because then you're portraying that facade of who you think you should be, but then once you come out, that's when you really start living. And that's, I think, when gay people really realize who they are, because you're now no longer having that barrier between you and someone else. When you start being your authentic self and people start accepting you, those are the strongest bonds, because that's like what a mother or a father should be doing from the jump, right? That Like those should be your strongest bonds, because. They see how you've developed throughout your entire life. And they should realistically accept you. But if they don't, Kyle was the one to do that for me. And so then that was why it was such an important relationship for me as a boyfriend, as well as now an adult friend. Like, Kyle means the world to me. So I bring up Kyle because after that whole situation, when I came out on Christmas, it was very much like, don't ask, don't tell, pretty much like the military, like even though I would see my mom or she would call me, it was very just. Much, it was very much like, "Hey, how's it going, Brian? How's work? What are you doing? Are you tired? This and that." But we never talked about that situation ever again, and so I didn't really know how they still felt. Even though they said it explicitly in that moment, I just thought maybe emotions were high, and that after the dust has settled, they maybe you know were just like, you know what, that's my son, whatever. But. I didn't. We never had the conversation, so I didn't know. But I assumed the best for them because I still respected my parents in this moment. August that same that that year of 2010, me and Kyle um, decided to go home. I don't know why, but I did. Um, I know my parents just recently moved, so we wanted to see the new house. And so I was like, Kyle, as we're driving up there, I was like, Hey! And he, at this point, Kyle was really apprehensive and super nervous because he didn't want things to go south because he knew the story. And so I was like, Hey, just to let you know. When we get up there, this is their house. I want us to be very respectful. So don't call me babe. Don't hold my hand. um, You know, don't act like my boyfriend, not because I'm ashamed or embarrassed of you, but because, again, I don't know how they are going to act towards it. And we're coming into their space. So I want to be as most respectful as possible. But if they ask, we're going to be honest and say what it is, right? I don't mind saying we're boyfriends or whatever. So we get there. And then we leave within less than 24 hours, and this is why. The whole day, me, my, me, Kyle, and my mom were all hanging out. Things were great. My mom was so kind. Everything was good. And then my dad gets home from work for dinner. We all have dinner together, the four of us: me, Kyle, my mom, and my dad. And we're all sitting there eating. And at the end of dinner, it was like we were like catching up for like two hours. And then at the end of the dinner, as my mom's like collecting plates and we're like cleaning up a little bit, my mom stops and she's like, "Hey." Ray, did you want to talk to them about what you want what I wanted to talk to them about? And instantly my stomach drops because I'm like, oh shit. Again, it was one of those moments where you play it out. Going up to the trip, I played out how this could go bad, how this could go right. But I'm like, they've been nice this whole time. So ooh, I'm getting nervous thinking about it right now. Um they've been kind to us this whole time, so hopefully they've like made a 180. So So my mom, um, my mom sits down and my dad's like, okay, before, before we start this conversation, I don't want anyone to get upset. I don't want anyone to like get angry. Um, we're just having a, like an honest conversation. There goes my phone. Of course I didn't turn it off. Sorry. And so, so my mom sits down and my dad asks, so what are you guys? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, are you guys just friends? Are you boyfriends? Are you guys together? And I was like, we're together. And my mom goes. And just that that gasp or that sigh instantly set the tone. Like I knew exactly what was going to happen. So my mom begins and she's like, why do you keep doing this to us? And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, you guys are so young. You're both good looking. You're so, you're like, you're both successful. You're smart. I don't know why you would want to ruin your life this way. And I was like, mom, I find offense to that because I don't feel like I'm ruining my life because I'm deciding to be myself. And she's like, that's just so nasty. Like, why would you, wh- I don't understand why you want to do that. And then she starts crying and then it starts getting real nasty. My dad is just sitting there silent while my mom just, does a verbal litany of assaults to me and Kyle. She's sitting there saying stuff like, you guys are so gross. Um, this is so disgusting. You're disgusting. Saying this to our face, making eye contact to us, right? As she's saying all these things, I'm just like trying to stay calm. I'm not yelling. I'm not cussing at her. I'm like giving her the most respect, but she is disrespecting the both of us so bad, Right. And through all of this, I'm like going back and forth with my mom. And at this time, I forget that anybody else is at the table because no one else is speaking other than my mom and I. And I turn and look at Kyle and he's just staring down at the table with his hands in his lap, super closed off. And I look down and his leg is just shaking like he is completely shaking. In this moment, I was like, okay, yeah, this is not okay. So she she says one line that pretty much sums up everything that has happened in this moment. But she says, stop bringing gay people to my house. It is disgusting. And I was like, but mom, I'm gay. So are you telling me stop coming home? And she's like, yeah, I don't want you to come home. Get out. And I've never felt so much like force or hatred from this woman before in my life. And just hearing that, I was like, it like really shook me and like turned my world upside down. Because like I said, my life has been ever changing because we moved so often and we were like in different countries, different places. But the one constant that I could always rely on is that we had each other. And in this moment, um, my mom was telling me that you no longer have me as a resource. And because my dad sat silent, <sighs> because my dad sat silent, he ultimately was agreeing that everything that was being said was okay. And in this moment, I said, "That that is the answer. We will never come back. I will never come back, okay? And so she's just like, good. And so she gets up off the table. And then I'm like, okay, we're leaving Kyle. And so then we go to the room. At this point, it was 10 o'clock at night. Or sorry, at uh, midnight. It was at midnight. And I was like collecting my stuff to leave. And Kyle's just like, hey, do you mind if I take a shower? And, um... I was like, are you serious? Like, come on, let's just go. I don't wanna be here. And he's like, no, seriously, I need need to take a shower. And I think he, in hindsight, did that because he was trying to be strong for me. He was trying to be strong for me in that moment and he didn't wanna cry or crumble or crack because he was trying to support me in this moment. And I think he didn't want me to see him cry. So he wanted to take a shower so that he could cry. And this is why I say Kyle is so important to me. Because in that moment, it was important for him to be there for me. But every moment after that, he's been there for me more than anyone else has ever been there for me in my entire life. More than my own parents. And so at this point, my dad walks into the room. And he's like, I think you guys should stay. And I told him, I was like, dad, absolutely not. Because I brought someone that I absolutely love into this house. And you guys completely disrespected me and disrespected him and think that's okay. I am not going to stand for any of the shit you said. I'm not going to stand for anything that you've been throwing at us. Or how you've made I, me feel or how you made him feel. Because one thing, you could say all that shit to me because I'm your son. But you can't say that to the person that has nothing to do with any of that, dad. Has nothing to do with any of that. And I was like, we both don't feel comfortable and we're leaving. And he's like, but it's midnight. And I was like, but we don't care. Because you don't care. You didn't care to, to stop saying the things that you she said. You didn't care to speak up for us. You didn't care about any of that. And he's just like, okay, well, if you if you need to leave, drive safe. And so we start driving and at this time like we got like three or four days off I think because that's when we thought we were going to stay up there and so we drove all the way to Long Beach extremely tired and on the way home I was like you know what fuck this shit like I don't want to sit at home being sulky being like poor me whatever and it takes a lot for me to get time off because I'm always so busy so I was like you know what because we have the time off let's turn this into a vacation because now I know where they stand. I can finally be free, right? Like I don't have to worry about putting on a facade because I know exactly how they feel about me and my situation that I don't need to be fake. I don't need to, you know, live up to the standard that they wanted because ever other than being gay, I've been more than exceptional as far as a son, as far as a student, as far as a full-fledged adult. I don't ask them for shit. You know, I don't, I don't, I didn't do drugs. I don't drink. I don't do anything, but I don't know why being gay when it has nothing to do with them or affect them in any way takes so much precedence as who I am as a person, right? And so we decided to um, go to Vegas and just hang out and turn it into a complete experience. So we spent money we didn't have, and we turned it into a great vacation. And we said, you know what? money's always out there. If we don't have it after this trip, we're just going to work hard and find it. And so we turned it into a vacation for ourselves, and it actually was one of the best experiences. We were eating all these fancy dinners. We were going to see all these shows. We, like, got the nicest room. That set the tone for my adult life, right? At this point, I was just turning 20. Being that age, you feel like an adult, but then when you're older, you look back and you're like, wow, that's, that's a child, right? Because, yes, at 18, you can do all these things, and you're graduated, and you can, like, You're an adult, but you're not mentally an adult. There's still a lot of like foundational groundwork that needs to be done. So over the course of the past 10 years, I've gone through this. I don't even know if I would say an amazing journey, but it's been a tough journey that eventually became amazing because it was like, if I do everything right and I'm still not enough, what standard should I be judging myself on? And the the standard that I was judging myself on was the image of everyone else. Right? Like I was trying to be the perfect brother. I was trying to be the perfect son. I was trying to be the perfect friend. But realistically, whose standard is that other than looking at validation from someone else to guarantee that I'm okay? I don't need I I learned that I don't need someone else's approval in order to feel like I am worthy, right? Or I am um worth loving ultimately. Um granted I say that now. Because I can but through those moments, it was that's not how I was feeling. And so I really like had a lot of resentment towards my parents, because up until this point, they were like, the people I respected the most and kind of like, modeled your existence after in a sense, because when you think about your parents, you want to like, always do things for their approval as a child and then that kind of bleeds into your later adolescent life because you really think that they're the ones that have the best out for you and that that's how you should lay the groundwork for your moral standards (sighs) but when all that was shaken I was like I don't know why they would ever treat me like this because I've never done anything besides be honest with them about who I am Um, to deserve any of this. And so I felt angry like over the the course of many years. I felt very, 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 very angry. And what I've come to realize now that I'm 30 and in hindsight is that it is not my journey to bear. Like I can't take on their emotions and their viewpoints because what I realized is just as much as I think I'm right, they have the same tenacity of how they think they are right. So with that said, who am I to say what you're doing is wrong? Because I, like like them, I set my own standards of my own, like my own scale of what's good and bad, and so do they. And our scale is built off of our reality, our experiences, our life challenges, our life situations. And so for them, everything that led up to this point in our relationship has told them this is the right thing to do. And I can't fault them for that. And I said to myself, it's taken me 19, 18, 19 years to be okay to say that I'm gay. I should at least give them the same respect of 18 and 19 years for them to be okay with it. Because I understand that for me, it was a big deal for my identity to be seen in a certain light. And I felt like that was obviously very important for my parents. <laughs> my mom is Korean. And in Korean culture, how people view you and your worth is very important. Because you you have to take pride in who you are. And I think being gay was not in her family image of what was important or what was appropriate. And so I think in the moments of her being angry, she didn't know how to articulate her emotions well enough to help me understand that journey. But I went on that journey for her to understand maybe where she's coming from. And we haven't had this conversation, but I feel like from what I've gathered from my mother... It is very important for her to look a certain way for people to perceive her a certain way. And I guess that perception puts precedence over her own relationship with her son. And like I said, everyone's on their own journey. That is her journey to bear. Hopefully in the future, she sees that she's missing out. But it's okay because for me, I have the resources to kind of like substitute her in my life. And even though it's unfortunate Because obviously everyone will want their mother in their life. I feel fine in my adult life because I feel like the people that are in my life that I go to for problems that typically you would go for your mother, they completely and wholeheartedly understand where I am, who I am, and how I think that they kind of fill those boxes, right? And then as far as my father, we had a conversation back when I was about 25 in an in and out on pch in long beach and in this moment i always felt like my dad kind of understood me more than my mother and i felt like he'd be the first one to actually have thoughtful conversation about the whole experience about my life and how he can articulate his emotions i think were probably going to be more appropriate or more beneficial than my mom because i feel like when my mom is misunderstood she gets angry But my dad, when he's misunderstood or tries to find an understanding, he gets silent. And I think that's what I realized in that moment was that he was trying to understand, so he got silent. And so for me, I felt like at I think, like I said, around 25, I was like comfortable enough to where I was as a person that whatever negative stuff that could potentially have come out of his mouth, it would not affect me or throw me in a tailspin because I felt like I understood at this moment the best I could of who I was and what really I valued in life. And we had this great four hour conversation about my entire life. And I went back to childhood with him about how I felt like as parents, they dropped the ball for me. And I'm not sitting here saying that like they were awful parents because they absolutely were not awful parents. I think both of my parents are very, 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 very great parents as far as great people. Because when I look at my own life, I don't think I've handled every situation perfectly either. So I can't fault them for making me feel unjust or unvalidated because I think in those moments, they really thought they were doing the best that they could just like I do when I go forward in my life. And so when I had this conversation with him after literally a four hour monologue, (laughs) I just kept talking because it was like once the floodgates opened, I could not stop. And this was like years of if I had this conversation, this is what I'm going to say. Right. It was very that it was very me letting out every single emotion I had when I was playing it over and over and over and over in my head. And so the first thing that my dad said to me was, I'm so sorry. In that moment, I didn't realize I needed that, but those those four words, I am so sorry, lifted so much weight and pain off of my shoulders. I didn't have to ask him to be apologetic. I I didn't frame the conversation or the monologue in a way of being like, you need to do what's right. You need to undo everything that you said or anything like that. I didn't even ask for an apology. I literally just said, this is what happened. This is how I took it, and this is where we're at now. Right. Like, so pretty much like, here's the facts. Do what you will. And so for him to say, I'm sorry, was very big. And then going forward, he like went through every situation and told me his side of the story. Right. Like, for instance, in high school during your senior game, which is the last home game of whatever sport you're playing, all the parents come and you walk out on the court. They say what college you're going to or what you're doing after high school. And then your parents are there and everyone claps for you. My brother's a year older than me, so we all made it for his varsity basketball game and I was like so proud cuz I was like cheering on the side for him and my parents made it and then it was my time and my parents didn't show up. They didn't they decided not to come because they wanted to work. And little little adjustments like that throughout my entire life, I already felt slighted, like I was secondary. And when you're a kid, you take everything so personal and you become very selfish. But now as an adult, you understand what adult life has to do when you're juggling, right? When you're juggling kids, work, finances, your health, all of that stuff. And so what he told me in that moment was that he always assumed that I didn't want them around. And I could see that because when I was in high school, because I felt different and I felt like they didn't accept me for who I was deep down, that I always like kind of was very quiet. And like when they would try to catch up and see what was going on in my life, I was just very quiet about everything. They're like, how was school? Good. Are you going to prom? Yeah. Who are you taking? This person. It was very short because I didn't feel like they understood who I was. Ultimately, I realized that they didn't accept who I was either. So I think Picking up on those things, I knew that I couldn't be honest with them. So I just decided to be silent. And so in that moment of my senior game, my dad just—my dad told me, I thought you didn't want us there. Because throughout high school, you never wanted us around. And when I hear that, I'm like, I understand why you received it that way. But in my head, I was like, I was screaming for help. But of course, I didn't articulate it because in those moments when you're going through puberty and stuff, you don't know how to, like, 16-year-olds don't know how to articulate their emotions. And so I didn't know how to express that to him. And I didn't want to be like, yes, dad, I need you. I want you there. I was just like, well, if you can make it, cool. And if, if they said, oh, well, do you care if I work? In my head, I'm like, oh, work is more important to you. So I'm not going to stop you from that. So I was like, yeah, if you want to work, go ahead. I should have said. No, dad, I actually do want you there. I mean, if you have to go to work, yes, but I would prefer if you're there. But again, at 16-year-old, I didn't know how to say that. So I was like, fine. And then I would, you know, turn to my friends and be like, what the fuck? My parents aren't coming. And I would obviously harbor that feeling until I was 25. Like, what the fuck shit is that? And so it was like a really big relieving moment because I think as we got, as I got older, I can understand the pain or the struggle of trying to just do what's best in that situation. And all I ask is that if, if I'm expressing that I'm upset, that someone realizes where they can take responsibility of that. And my dad did that every step of my monologue. And I think that really turned our relationship around because now I instantly didn't feel hurt. I instantly understood that he was trying his best. And I instantly felt like, okay, cool. We can. This is groundwork. We can start from this. I'm not asking you to be in my life. I'm not asking you to be my best friend, dad. But... I'm open to letting you in because now I understand where you're coming from. And my dad really does not care that I'm gay. And I I, I told him, I was like, you know what made me most disappointed when you, me, mom, and Kyle were up north at home when all of this started? Like the big climax of our relationship is that you didn't say anything, dad. You didn't stick up for us. You've never apologized for what happened, even though you agree or disagree I didn't hear anything from you. And for that sake, I felt like you agreed. And he's like, you know what, son? And he's like, this is why I'm most proud of you is because I understand that no matter what happens, you are always okay, right? You always like get a land. You always know how to land on your feet. He's like, but for me in my life, I knew that if I had to choose between my son and my wife, my son was going to be okay. I don't think your mom would have been able to handle it had I sided with you in that moment. And I, I agreed with him, so I couldn't fault him for doing that, right? And even though it sucks that because I've always had to be okay personally in my own personal life because I felt like no one was in my corner, granted when I say that I think people were in my corner, but it was very difficult for me to see because I was going through my own journey, it sucked that I had to be in another situation where yes, I have to land on my feet because if strength is the only option you have, then strong I will be. And that's kind of like the motto of my life is like, stay solid. Because in all these moments of tribulation, the worst that can happen is you die. But if I'm not dead, then there's still hope, right? And so luckily, my dad did realize that. But unfortunately, my dad chose that. And so I had to fight going forward into my adult life alone, right? And now I had to like set up all these checks and balances to catch myself when I started falling. And it got to the point now where I don't feel like I need anyone. Like if you want to be in my life, cool. But if you I'm not going to ask you to be in my life because I feel like if the most foundational relationship has fleeted from my life, which is my parents, what's to say this like fickle friendship that we just formed that might last three years won't do the same. And so I always am weary and it's not in like a morbid or sad way of like, I don't trust anyone. I am fully there. I'm full fledged, but it takes a lot for you to get to that point with me because I feel like I don't take relationships lightly as you can now tell now that my parents are, like, kind of rekindling it and people are like, see, your parents are trying, like, la-di-da-di-da, great. But, like, it's years of me doing it without you that I don't think it's fair that you get to, like, get the best, Brian, because you caused this. You know what I mean? And I'm up for, you know, a reconciliation and, like, I don't mind having a relationship with my dad, but I'm not running to the gate to start it. Like, you have to put the effort forward. And I think that's where my relationship ends with my dad. And then, likewise, with my brother... Our relationship was a little bit on the rocks, too, because I felt like every time he would go home, he would be like, Brian, stop being silly. Just come home. Just come home. Like completely missing the mark of why I was doing what I was doing. I work every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, everything like that, because I don't like sitting at home for the holidays sulking. So my new normal was just work. So I'd be like at Disney. We would throw a potluck, do five shows, and it became my Christmas. Or I would fly and, like, do a little dinner with my crew. That became my Thanksgiving. And so um, he would just be like, just come home, just come home. But I don't think he understood, like, the real deep-rooted pain that I was feeling. And I started resenting him for that, too. And I was like, you didn't even speak on my behalf, right? Like, you keep going home and you act like everything is okay. But if I was you, I would be fighting for you because I don't feel like that's right. But, again... I understood where he was coming from with that because everything that he's gotten in his life from our parents, they've always kind of naturally agreed with his lifestyle because I think he's a he's a great guy, but like he was like, you know, the varsity athlete, the prom king, popular, smart, you know, and it fit within my mom's idea of what her son should be. So it was very hard for my brother to see that my mom was nasty to me cuz he's never experienced that with her, right? And so now that we got through that, point in our lives me and my brother it's been a lot easier for us to get closer and for sure in our later lives it's been great and even this podcast has even made us closer because every tuesday he'll have a debrief about the episode on monday and like it's perfect it's great i love it Um, but yeah that's just kind of where it sits now and i don't want to tell you this story because i'm like sitting here trying to bash my family that's not the purpose because i still think they're amazing people but i share this story in the sense that two things One, everyone's on their own journey and there's so much room for growth that when you draw these hard lines for people because you feel upset from what they've brought into your life, I don't think that's healthy. And when you harbor these feelings of like resentment or torture, you're not doing anything but hurting yourself, even though you might feel like, yes, I'm angry because that's what feels right. You got to let that shit go. And I say that so easily now, but think about it. It's taken me, what, 30 years? 30 years, not 30 years, 10 years to get past this. And I'm still crying about it. But the tears aren't pain as much as just reliving the experience, right? The, the experience was painful. So of course, when you hear the story, it's going to bring up those emotions. But I don't cry because I feel these emotions anymore. Granted, yes, they do bleed into my current life and how I view situations. So that I recognize as well. But I'm not sitting here being like, fuck my parents, fuck my brother, fuck my dad. Like, life sucks. You know, you just got to really pick yourself up and be like, okay, cool. That's life, right? That's life. We got to move on. And then secondly, I think the healthiest thing for me was trying to understand someone else's story. That was like the biggest lesson that I could understand in this entire situation where instead of focusing on the pain that I experienced, focus on the pain that someone else might be experiencing, which is now being projected onto you. If you didn't care about something, you really would have no emotion towards it. And because my mom had met me with so much anger or my dad or my brother with all whatever emotions, not that they all met me with anger, but whatever emotion they experienced, I understand that they care. And that's the only way they know how to express what's going on. So I I, I challenge everyone going forward that if someone starts coming at you crazy, like whether it's at work, like on the plane, I always do this. I really practice this on the plane or anything like that. I'm like, instead of being upset, being like, what the fuck? Why are you coming at me like that? I'm like, okay, why are they coming at me like that? And I don't meet it with anger or try not to. Granted, this is still a work in progress. I try not to meet it in anger. I try to understand, wow, there's something must be really going on for them to start acting crazy like that and I feel like when you take the emotion out and you you stop making it about yourself you make it about the experience and like well what's going on you realize that you stopped getting angry as much and I stopped getting angry as much when I realized that and you start living a little bit lighter because you're like you know what it's not that important like we'll we're fine we'll get through it but again it's taken me years to realize that I'm still going on this journey with my rocks from Thailand (laughs) But I want you guys to hear my story because I feel like it will give a very, 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 very good insight into why I view things the way I do or, like, express situations the way I do. Or even, like, when me and Shane talk about our personal relationship and how, like, it's difficult that I'm a difficult friend. I think you understand now where I'm coming from with this because I take relationships very seriously. I don't mind being friends with anyone, but you're just going to be either an acquaintance friend or a down-ass bitch. And my down-ass bitches... I only have a handful, so sorry. But yeah, um, I guess that's really just summing it up. I really thought I was going to get this episode under an hour. It's starting to creep up to an hour, and I was like, you know what? Because me and Shane aren't talking, but then let's be real. I'm like the only one talking most cases, and I'm like, you agree, Shane? Or what do you want to say? And he's like, I agree. So let's get real. I usually am the one making the fucking episode an hour long. But I guess um, with that said, I'm going to end with an in-season like we normally do, because why not, right? So in-season, I started watching on the plane ride back from Thailand. I downloaded um, all the episodes of Pose, which is on FX, and it's about um, Vogue culture in New York in 1987, and it talks about how it is to be ethnic and trans, right? Like their struggle. There are like two things I wanted to bring up was that this gives a really good insight into the trans world and trans community at least for me i kind of i've been like um very aware of it because i think it's part of the lgbtq plus community which i'm a part of so i try to understand everyone's story but i like the insight and again this is this is a dramatization of um what really happened so granted this is a very very subsect of the entire trans community so i'm not saying this is everyone's experience but I really liked the power dynamic. One of the Latino trans women in the show went to a gay bar. And it was a white gay bar in New York. And she wouldn't get served a drink because the the bartender was like, no, like, we don't want any sissy boys in here and blah, 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 right? And so she kicked, she, she kept getting kicked out. And he was saying stuff like, you're not part of our community, you're not one of us, you're not this and that. And I bring this up because I still feel like as a gay man, I feel this in our own community. When I'm in a white gay circle, I don't feel like I belong as much either. Because there's still that, and I brought this up before, like this power dynamic of, yes, I'm oppressed, but I'm not as oppressed as that person. And so you almost try to regain your power back by oppressing someone else. And I I thought this example was great to bring up because just like being gay and kind of like falling suit into my um, coming out story is that that oppression, we need to be aware that even in another scene, there was a black guy. In the white gay bar granted it wasn't technically a white gay bar but by the way the patrons are and who is there they kind of like slight the people who are different they're just like looking at them kind of making them feel uncomfortable for being there the black gay man was in there and even the trans woman was getting shade from the black gay man because she was like she came in and she wanted a drink and the bartender was like i told you i'm not going to serve you and she looks at the black gay guy and was like you know they don't like us here look around everyone's white we're not white and he's like no 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 they like me here they don't like you because you're trans and i think it was like true on both ends where if it was just a black gay man in that bar full of white people they would not have liked him but because there was something lesser than the black gay man which was a ethnic trans woman everyone could scapegoat and regain their power in that moment and be like yeah i'm better than you so my life doesn't suck as much right And I thought that was so important to visualize because I think that we tend to do that a lot when we feel like we're not validated in life or we feel like we're not, you know, getting what we deserve. We start putting down people below us to try to like claw back out of that hole of darkness and really take a look. And this is what I realized going back to Thailand too, is that we are all all on our own journeys. And in Thailand the Buddhist religion is very prevalent. And that's like the biggest thing you can get back from Buddhism is that everyone's on their own journey. And instead of worrying about what everyone else is doing, look inside and go on that journey for yourself. And yes, that might seem selfish, but really before you start getting angry, look at why you're angry within yourself before you start acting like the situation made me angry. No one can make you angry. You're deciding to choose to be angry. That power struggle, I loved it because I felt like it was exactly pointing it on how I view the gay community or the community at large because even like white American culture to black Latino X or Asian culture you know it can it can be expanded out to like just society in general American straight white cis society whatever there's everyone's always trying to regain their power but here's the thing no one can lose their power unless that you feel like you can give it away I don't feel like I can get my power taken. And if someone's trying to put me down because of it, that's not an attack on me. That's an attack on yourself because you feel like you're losing something. I'm not losing anything by you telling me one thing or another. And so going forward, yeah, that's my end season. Pose. (laughs) Big circle around. You're like, shut the fuck up, Brian. This is way too much. But I'll just end on this. Thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast. Honestly, even though Shane's not here, I know he would say the same thing. It has been tremendous that we've gotten so many listeners and i think you guys so 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 much for continuing to listen to us babble about dumb shit we've gotten so many so much good feedback so with that said i hope that you guys keep writing into us please keep sharing us um subscribe rate review all of the above and as always, thank you guys so, 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 so much for listening. Thank you for letting me sit here and talk for an hour about my dumb shit, my dumb life, and taking the time to invest in me. I appreciate it so, 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 so much. But um, on behalf of me and Shane, thank you guys to the Snack Pack. And we will catch you next week on Brute Snacks. Bye.